0: Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast, where we celebrate creative culture and the artists who make it. I'm your host, Sourdough, coming to you from Crew West Studio in Los Angeles. Man, do we have a cool program for you all today. I have no doubt you will learn, grow, and be inspired by today's show. Before we get into our main event, I want to thank you for tuning in. Please be sure to like this episode and subscribe. Your likes and follows help ensure you won't miss any of our new shows. And it makes the algorithm God's happy, which helps us. So thanks for that. Also, be sure to visit our website, notrealart.com. Sign up for our newsletter to keep your finger on the pulse of everything we're doing here at Not Real Art for artists and art lovers. A lot of great stuff there on the website. You'll see, you'll get uh, free educational videos. You can sign up for our artist grant for the chance to receive $2,000. You can buy affordable original contemporary art through our partnership with Sugar Press. And you can become a supporter through Patreon if you want. So be sure to check out our website today for all the good, healthy stuff we got for you. Okay, friends, today we have the one and only Melissa Richardson-Banks. Melissa's like a soul sister. I mean, she and I share so many of the same values and passions for helping artists and facilitating access to the arts and democratizing art and the arts. And Melissa has been doing this for quite a while as a arts marketing specialist she's had her hands in a lot of amazing cool projects and is a real expert actually in setting up and producing touring exhibitions uh, around the country and world and you know melissa is just a fantastic human being i love talking to her i've known melissa for a while because by the way one of the cool jobs that she has and she has several cool jobs That she does in the arts but we actually met because back in the day when my partner man one had crew west gallery in downtown la melissa would come and bring one of her clients to look and purchase art and her client happened to be the one and only cheech marin and you know for those of us who happen to remember the iconic cheech and chong's you know characters from the movies You guys know Cheech and probably like me, freaking love him. And Melissa has the great honor and um, opportunity to work with Cheech to build his Chicano art collection because Chicano art is American art. And in fact, we're going to get into this, but in fact, they're opening up the Museum of Chicano Art in Riverside, California, 61,000 square feet of art that she and Cheech are working on together. But like I said, Melissa's like a soul sister. We hit it off. We just share so many of the same passions and interests in helping artists and helping facilitate the art. So without further ado, let's get into this and hear from the one and only Melissa (laughs) Richardson-Banks. Melissa Richardson-Banks, welcome to the show.
1: Oh, I'm so excited to be at Not Real Art.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Not Real Art. Yes, baby. I love it. (laughs) Well, Well, I I tell you what. I
1: love you. I love what you do. Just if I could say this real quick. Not Real Art just hits home to me because for many years before I claimed to be a photographer, I didn't feel like I made real art. I was a Mm. snapshooter. So Mm. I really, your title of your podcast and what you guys are doing, I love it.
0: Oh, thank you so much. You know, the name, it was, you know, it's one of those names that I think of it as conceptual art, really. And it's funny, artists get the joke immediately And so many gallerists, serious gallerists, serious collectors, serious patrons just don't get the joke. (laughs) I know. know. They they say, wait a minute, not real art. What do you mean not real art? I deal in real art. What are you talking about? You know what? We're not for you. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, for those of us who get the joke, we understand, right, that it's a critique on the legitimacy issue. I mean, we all, I mean, first of all, who's to say really? Sure, academics and historians can, you know, offer opinion about what is truly original or truly new or what really hasn't been said in the canon of art, but really, you know, art is so personal and so subjective and, and artists do deal with that sense of legitimacy. Am I a real artist? Am I not a real artist? And, you know, at the end of the day, as far as I'm concerned, who's to say, if you say you're an artist, you're an artist. And you're real enough for us. So come on the not real arts show.
1: <laughs> I love that because it's actually why I got into arts marketing. It's exactly what you said because I remember the first time I ever went to a museum was actually when I moved to Los Angeles. And I was grew up in a small town in Texas. And I remember going into Mocha and there weren't any there's no captions, there's no labels, there's nothing. They just you just have to appreciate the art. And I thought I didn't feel like active in it. So I really love that, you know, again. What is art? And there were lots of things that, that I remember sharing. It was such a wonderful experience at the
0: time. Yeah, you know, and it's, I don't know if you've seen, you're way smarter than I am. So you probably read the book. I watched the movie, but the Andy Warhol Diaries, I don't, you know, like, like I'm watching the Netflix series right now. And it's so interesting, right? Because I mean, here, you know, the, this speaks, you know, volumes about, you know, what we already know about the art world. I mean, he, Andy Warhol himself, you know, battled with, le- you know, issues of legitimacy and felt never really accepted by the fine art world and and let alone Basquiat, let's not even, I mean, but, but Andy Warhol was a white guy, you know? So if a white guy can uh, feel like Andy Warhol can feel that way, you can imagine how artists just grapple with this issue. And so, you know, you're right. And I love the work you're doing. I love everything you're doing. And we share, and this is why I was so stoked to have you come on the show, because we share values, we share a mission, which is, you know, and this phrase gets maybe overutilized, but, you know, democratize the arts, you know, creating accessibility, because at the end of the day, if my neighbors can't enjoy art and appreciate it for, them, for themselves, you know, really, we're missing the point.
1: No, absolutely, and I, you know, just, I, it just reminded me too. Again, when you're talking about feeling, when artists feel like, am I, ma- am I making real art? What is that? And I'll never forget the first time I saw Rauschenberg, and I had flown to Houston, where I now live, but I was in Los Angeles at the time, and I had a roommate because I just gotten divorced, and I remember Patricia Mitchell. She's an artist, and I remember going to Rauschenberg in Houston at the Fine Arts Museum, and coming back and going, I don't get it. Like, there's this like white canvases. Like, what is this? And it just was, she's like, oh my God, you saw the show. Let me sit down with you. And it just talked about how it made me realize that people need to have some context. They need to have some background. They need to talk to someone who knows the artist, a curator, a, a docent or whatever. And she really opened my eyes to that experience about what was art. And I thought, you know, I'm Joe Public and I'm educated and known, but why didn't I know this? And so I I literally flew back to Houston to go see the show again now that I was armed with this knowledge. And it made me realize that this is what I really wanted to do. I wanted to actually help engage the public with an art learning experience and understanding art and what is artists is really artists almost endless.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, and it's like we, you know, in theory, you know, I guess the aspiration or the dream or the, the fantasy is that we live in a country that truly values art and funds arts education. But of course we don't, you know, I'm a public school guy and uh, from the Midwest and, you know, thankfully growing up in the seventies and the eighties, I mean, although we were a working class kind of community, we had a tax base that was robust and we had great budgets for arts education. So, my high school, which was the third largest high school in the state, I graduated with 650 people. You know, we had a a robust arts program and a liberal arts program. And so not just visual art, but music and theater and, you know, all that stuff. And I am who I am today at 52 years old, loving art because of that primary education in the arts. And so who's going to make up that gap now as arts education is being defunded over the last 30 years, who's going to make up that gap? Well, you are going to make up that gap, Melissa, and I'm going to make up that gap. And together, you know, with all the work that we're doing and trying to, you know, with whether it's through podcasting or events or projects that you're doing, I mean, this all helps bridge that gap in terms of education, accessibility, democratization. And so God bless you.
1: Oh. Well, again, I feel like I'm always learning and I think that's, I I know this, I can see this as a trait of yours as well. It's that curiosity. You're curious about life and that's how I live my life. Wherever I am, I feel like I pretend I'm a tourist, even though I might be in a place for years, but I just always want to explore and understand. And I think that's what makes it exciting for me day to day. I mean, you have to have a little bit of excitement in your daily life, but for me, it's just being curious about what other people are doing. And, you know, I I try to see... art all, every day. And it doesn't mean that I physically go to like a big giant museum, but I go and I look for it in many ways. And maybe I stumble upon it. I mean, I actually have to say, because I lived in the arts district of Los Angeles for about 25 years. And I realized now that's where I became a photographer, but I stumbled on art experiences every day. I was living a narrative. And then I realized it's not just that arts neighborhood that was born of artists and continues to appreciate arts, is that all of us can see art anywhere we are. And I think that's what's exciting is that we can all see art every day. And just sometimes we don't realize it's not hitting us in the face. Like we're not, oh, I'm not in a museum. I don't see art. No, you can see it anywhere. And I love that.
0: Yeah. You know, you hit the nail on the head. I think you said something about kind of a lifestyle and it's sort of like in my own life, I sort of feel like, you know what, if I can live a life and move on to the next life and feel as though that how I lived my life was my masterpiece, was truly my own personal work of art. You know, it's like, like, that's it, you know, because really we can make art in the choices that we make every day. You know, I mean, you know, if I'm cooking dinner for my kids, for example, I try to think of it as I'm going to make a work of art for my kids right now. And yes, they're going to eat it and no one's going to care except me, <laughs> but, but it's the spirit, right? It's that it's a sort of energy. Yeah. It's a mindset. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, do you remember how old you were when you said yourself and you thought to yourself for the first time, I'm an artist.
1: Well, I will tell you a story I don't think I've told anyone publicly. I t- my mother will be upset that I'm sharing this with you because she's an <laughs> oh, artist. Sorry, she's, Mom. It's <laughs> okay. She's an artist now. Okay. But when I was younger, when I was in the, maybe the third or fourth grade, I got called to the principal's office or sent to the principal's office because of my art. Were you drawing a, the extra stick,
0: Melissa, <laughs> on the stick people? Come on. <laughs> my, I was not drawing
1: stick people. I, in fact, I was pretty advanced and I didn't know yeah. it at the time. Yeah, And in fact, so advanced. That they were concerned because I was
0: drawing nudes. Ah, yes. Oh, God, <laughs> God forbid that you draw the human body. You oh, know. <laughs> and it was realistic.
1: I mean, it was the real it was. I look back at these drawings now at that fourth grade level because I never advanced with that because at that point on I was forbidden to ever do art. I just like, no, you can't oh, do this anymore. You man. really need to do it. And I, it's kind of funny that I'm doing what I'm doing now, and even more ironic and funny that my mother became an artist at 70. She's now 84. Right on. And she's like, "Oh my God, I'm so sorry." Mm.
0: <laughs> well, you know, it's but- funny. Yeah, I mean, we all have similar stories. You know, it's like, or I look back, and you know, my mom will probably hate me telling this story <laughs> because I've, I've yelled at her enough about it, but. And I love my mom. Shut out, mom. But, you know, being, you know, being a working class family from the Midwest, you know, pretty conservative in many ways and growing up in a, you know, kind of in a, in a tradition of getting a real job, you know what I mean? So if like, if you were a musician or an artist, that wasn't a real job, you know, you needed to get, you know, you needed to be a doctor or, or an electrician or something, you know, and in third grade, my art teacher told my parents said, Scott's got so much talent. He takes art really seriously. Like you need to get him, you know, with an artist, with a teacher, with an instructor. And my parents said, oh no, it's just a phase. Oh it's my god, we face. had the
1: same experience at that same age. What did our parents do to us? They we would have been famous. Up, oh my god. Oh my god, I love that. So well, maybe our moms need to get go into therapy together. They're really I wonderful. Guess. I love my mom too. I love my uh, mom too. Of course. Too. But, but it's oh my God, I was yeah, middle of working class family, same thing. They you know get a job with money and da-da-da. And it's like, oh my gosh.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because my I, I actually my mom was. I was home visiting, and she'd given me some stuff. Uh, she'd gone through some boxes and found a bunch of old stuff from school days, whatever, and she was giving it to me. And she found this little yearbook, so to speak, that we made in fifth grade as we were sort of graduating from elementary school to junior high. And my art teacher had written, you know, in the book, and she had said. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but she said, Scott, I'm going to miss you. Okay, you know, good luck. I'm going to miss you. It was so nice to watch how serious you took making art. Right. And this was in fifth grade, you know, that she's writing this. And let me tell you something. Nobody's ever accused me of taking anything serious in my life. let alone, <laughs> you know? So, so the fact that that was recognized and, and, you know, listen, I mean, we love our parents, but you know, maybe what they did was the best thing because it put us on this trajectory to be here today. Right. Absolutely.
1: We're both supporting artists. Uh, we, you know, found this world. We created this. I don't even know what it what it is. I don't, it's hard for me to identify what who I am. And I you probably find the same thing. So once you're into this creative world and you're a creative professional, it's you have these multiple descriptors of yourself. I'm a photographer, I'm an arts marketing person, I'm a event producer, I'm this, I'm a podcast host, I'm whatever. And it just takes you down this creative journey. So maybe that's a good thing. You know, sometimes that door closes, another one opens. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, and we also don't grow up in a vacuum, right? I mean, the world has changed so much. And you think about how the tools of art making has been democratized over the last 25 years and how the technologies has changed the game. I mean, you know, I came up you know, in Chicago primarily, well, I got my degree in graphic design and I worked in advertising for 80, you know, in the late eighties and the nineties. And, you know, cause at that time for me, that was like the cool, interesting job. But back in those days, like, there was a real wall between fine art and commercial art. I mean, you know, if you were a photographer, illustrator, art director, graphic designer, working in commercial art, that that was a very well-established, kind of rigorous, kind of mature, kind of business model or whatever. But fine art was its own thing, you know, and kind of only one business model, you know, get an MFA, try to get a gallery, try to get a, you know, representation, what have you. And then the tools and technology has just sort of exploded that wall that divided fine art, commercial art. It's so interesting. And and I think it's a net positive for artists.
1: Yeah, God forbid that you called yourself an artist if you were a photographer or a graphic designer because it was like, whoa, <laughs> yes. you know, you know <laughs> exactly. people would be getting, oh, no, you're not, you know, it's not fine art. And it's really interesting. I've I really enjoyed watching that whole transition because I, for example, I, I transitioned recently in recent years. I slowly started representing some occasionally an artist or two and have a, you know, kind of like a boutique person that represented it, if you will. And I, you know, I'm working with a photographer right now and she, her name's Karen Navarro. I think I shared some information. Shout with out you about to her. Karen. Yes. Yeah. yeah she's phenomenal. awesome. And, but you know, she's an artist. So sometimes you can kind of pigeonhole her because her work began with photography, but she's gone to so much more. And I see that with a lot of photographers, uh, design, even graphic designers. So as you know, I manage Cheech Marin's art collection and one of the notable Chicano artist in the collections is Frank Romero mm. and he started his career as a graphic designer.
0: Oh. And not a people fun didn't, fact, know that. didn't know yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And in fact, so there's a couple of artists actually in the collection who were graphic designers first. And so you can see that. And then even photographers. I look at John Valdez. He's a, you know, really did a lot of photography early on and mm. that and you can see that in his photographic style and narrative right, work right, that he does. Right. But it's amazing. So it's again. Once you have this creative, you kind of nudge into that creative circle, that world. You you find other ways to express yourself, and I think that's really cool. Well, and I'm you know, glad it's of, changed.
0: Yeah, I mean, part of what I find interesting about that story, and this is my own sort of speculation. I don't know if it's accurate or not, but. You know, you wonder if I mean, you know, if a lot of these guys grew up at a time where going to art school seemed to be out of reach for any number of reasons, right? But yet, of course, we're all creative people who want to express ourselves creatively. So you grab what you can, and maybe, maybe they grew up in a house that had a camera, or maybe they grew up in a house that, you know, had access to you know graphic design tools or whatever the case might be. But like, that's how you start creating. You start kind of, you know, and then it evolves, and maybe tools become more accessible. I'm, I'm sort of thinking thinking back on, and it's a socioeconomic question, you know, on a, on a lot of levels. And it's interesting. And I'm thinking about hip hop right now. And I'm thinking about how, you know, I was, you know, when hip hop, I mean, I was a jazz and blues guy. Like I absolutely was, I was a snob growing up. I was an absolute snob <laughs> growing up in Chicago. I was all about jazz and blues. And so when hip hop came on, you know, quite frankly, I was like, ah, oh, you know, this isn't real music. I mean, you know, like, like they're just like, you know, spinning like turntables and scratching turntables and whatever. And of course, eventually what I came to realize is that those were the tools that they had. They couldn't afford maybe a saxophone or a piano or whatever, but they took these tools and made art with them. And I just love that.
1: No, I love that too. And and, uh, artists have to have jobs. And usually you don't have, you don't make money with art right out the gate. So it's like, what else can you be doing? Case in point, today I went to my local Starbucks and the barista behind the counter said, oh, I'm going to ask you a weird question. Were you at the opera on Saturday night? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, I saw you in the second row. He goes, I'm (laughs) "I'm an opera singer. You got a stalker. (laughs) Yeah, he was an opera singer. He was on the stage. And I said, Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He was a
0: singer. But now he's working at the Starbucks. That's incredible. So That's incredible.
1: I was in the chorus. And I said, well, yeah, my friend who I also met, this is another Zoom, you know, kind of pandemic story, is that one of my friends who's now, you know, a lead opera singer, she lives in another, wasn't heads in New York, now in Arizona. Her name's Abigail, oh my God, my great Fisher. And she was the lead singer on Saturday night. So I hadn't seen her in person even. So I was on this, I went to go see her so I could meet her afterwards. So I was. I went to the second, you know, I wanted to be the second row so I could really see her and sing. But this guy in the chorus sees me. That's and I amazing. thought, wow. That's
0: amazing, I love that story. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So what do you, you know, it's funny, you know, kind of hearkening back to how things have evolved a little bit. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, back in the day, right? Do not, if you're a photographer, do not call yourself an artist. There was that wall between commercial art and fine art. But now we have all of these monikers. I mean, you know, you're an artist, you're creative, you're a creator, you're, a, you know, I mean, what does it all mean anymore? I mean, you know, like, like, I, I don't even know, you know, what to think about it. And, you know, do you, you know, it's funny, uh, but, you know, in the graffiti art culture, don't call a graffiti artist a street artist, man. You might get punched in the face. You know what I mean? Oh. <laughs> um, so what about calling an artist a creative or a creative an artist or creator a creative? I, I mean, does it matter? Does anyone care? I mean, well, like, where is this all coming from, do you think?
1: Well, I think identity is really important. And Mm. it's not just even racial or ethnic identity. It's also who you are as a person, regardless of your racial and ethnic backgrounds. Just like, who am I? What do I do? Mm. Mm. And describing what you do is, you know, it's it's part of the process. And maybe it's you're just, maybe you want to leave it nebulous and you don't want to keep it kind of vague. But if you're kind of trying to get work, you have to be kind of specific. What's the current buzz term for who I am? I think back to years ago my grandmother had passed away and i was the only of my one of my siblings without kids so i flew to help my father bury his mother so i got to spend a a really what i look back now an amazing week with him and i'll never forget that he sat down with me and he said you know melissa because I, I asked him i said do you know what i do and he said you know i tell my friends you're a hustler <laughs> and i said dad i mean this is a small town texas guy and i'm like I think they might have a different definition <laughs> of what that is
0: exactly,
1: <laughs> but I thought I am a hustler and i and I think of yes. it in a positive way, and I have to say, you know, flash forward, what is my greatest joy today is that the only person who really knows what I do is my mother mm. and I think it's because about fifteen years ago again, right when she started painting and everything, she started coming to visit me in Los Angeles. And I was able to bring her out often, which was great. Had not been close to my mom growing up. Super close to her now, which is why I'm in Houston, not Los Angeles. But she was with me for a when I was you know, producing Bloomfest in my neighborhood, or going to museum exhibitions, or working and going visit artist studios. And she saw this, and she's like, oh my God, I get to see firsthand what you do, and I understand it. And she is like my biggest cheerleader now, and the biggest supporter. And she, I don't think anyone else could easily... Explain what I do, even myself. Sometimes I have to go back to her. What do you think I do? <laughs> Could you read you're, this? Does it sound right?
0: So you, you are, I mean, you, you, I, I love this conversation. And I feel like this is part one of like part 10 of the 10 part <laughs> series where you come back and we talk about this, you know, so many things to talk about because, because you're right. You know, I find myself sometimes, you know, like trying to simplify or summarize what it is we do or what it is I do. I mean, we do live in the era of the multi hyphenate, but it, it on a certain level, it sounds pretentious as hell to say like, oh, I'm a producer, I'm a curator, I'm a marketer, I'm a this, I'm a that you know, whatever. And I remember my, it was at my 25th high school reunion, I guess it was. And I was talking to a guy who I grew up with. I mean, we grew up on the same block and I've known him since kindergarten. And so he wanted to catch up. He's like, so what are you doing now? You know, and I, and I explained to him what we're doing and he just looks at me and goes, I have no idea what you just said. (laughs) (laughs)
1: They have no clue. Oh, my God. I'm from Flower Bluff. I'm from a little tiny town outside of Corpus Christi, Texas. And it's not even a pretty flower, like pretty flowers. It's cake flower, Flower Bluff. They don't know what I do. I mean, some people like, well, Melissa does something. We don't really know. So it's very hard to explain (laughs) to somebody, you know. And I yeah, and I find so that challenging. And what's interesting you mentioned too, like defining, because you know, there was a while because of being in Los Angeles because of the film industry, mm. I finally realized that I could start calling myself a producer. And so I mm. coined the term cultural producer, which I mm. now see a lot of people are using it years later. But mm-hmm. early on, I started thinking, well, I'm not really because I would find myself describing to people when I was living in Los Angeles. Well, I make things happen. I'm I'm kind of like in the film world, a line producer, an executive producer, and a producer. And and this is kind of what I do. And they're like, oh, we get it. If they were in the film industry, they understood it. Like, oh, you do the budgets. Oh, you make it happen. You organize it. So it's interesting. And that fits me for now. But then I realized, again, it's, I'm that, but I'm also more. And I hear that with you too.
0: Yeah. Well, it's funny because, you know, I've had people say to me, say, oh, well, you know, you're an artist, right? And, you know, it's funny because I sort of stopped them, right? Because to me, and I think you would agree, like to me, Artists are, I lost my religion a long time ago. There's not a whole lot that's sacred to me anymore, but art and artists are just kind of sacred to me. I sort of put them on a pedestal. They're sort of spiritual beings, maybe angels among us, whatever, at least the best of them. (laughs) And the point is, is that, so I distinguish between artists and art with a capital A and artists and art with a lowercase a, and, you know, and then people say, well, you're an artist. I mean, you work with artists, you're in the art world, you make stuff, you do this. I say, you know what? Here's the thing if you want to think I'm an artist, great. But would a wise man call himself wise? I don't think so. So you know what? I'm not going to comment here if you want to, because then I look at people like, you know, like Man One, our mutual friend, Man One, for example. I mean, that guy is a capital A artist. He studied art his whole career. I would never offend him by saying I'm an artist because I didn't put my 10, 20, 30,000 hours in, which he has done.
1: He gets to hang that shingle. He yeah, gets that's right that that's song. right
0: that's right and yet you know he and other artists need us right they you know it's sort of this you know win-win one plus one equals three scenario whereby we can come together you know you, people like your, ourselves you and I you know we yes we have a real appreciation and maybe artistic tendencies and maybe even artistic talent and ability and skills but but we also have that business side and the logistics side or the production side that so many artists need
1: and that is our art. Mm. And I have to say that just recently someone called me because they wanted to have coffee. You know how that is in this business. Basically, it's like someone going to a doctor and saying, you know, getting all that free medical advice. And I had to say, (laughs) she's like, oh, I I don't, because she keeps calling me, calling me coffee, coffee, coffee. And I finally said, "I, I really know you want me to work on your project, but this is what I do. This is my art. And she's like, oh, but it's just connections. I just want you to introduce me to everybody that gives money and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, nope. That's my art.
0: <laughs> that's your secret sauce, man. That's the proprietary recipe, yeah. you know? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. yes and I'm yes, always so happy that's... to
1: help and I'm happy to support. I'll 100%. buy a ticket. I'll go. But, you know, an hour of my time is yeah. I, it takes away you, from the people you I meet.
0: A, you meet a lawyer, usually they'll give you one meeting pro bono. It's like they'll they'll hear your, you know, give you some advice and then, you know, you got to retain them if you, <laughs> you Exactly. Know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm and, always, uh,
1: again, but you have to be careful because sometimes it's really easy to be so. And I am super helpful. And I know I see that with you. You're very supportive. And I think, I know that's for me why I'm kind of also looking to transition to just to start talking about art and things that I love, not just art, because I love environment. I love education. And so I thought, well, that's how I can give back. I can't do for everybody because I'd be exhausted. I can't pay my house payment Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. that. -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. But I do want to write about things that I love, which is why I started Trying to streamline at that point in my life, just making things simpler, but also so I can do things that are that I care about. And it's, you know, I can't, I'm not going to get everything, but I'm going to try to get a couple of things.
0: Well, tell me about one thing right now that you really, really, really care about. One thing that is so exciting that you're working on right now that you're just super passionate about.
1: Well, I almost hate – there's two things that are related, and I almost hate to say one of them because it will open it up to people calling me to have coffee.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, broad strokes, broad strokes.
1: (laughs) Well, I think the one thing that I – I'll start with the the larger one because it's institutional-based, and they Mm -hmm. they wouldn't call me for coffee all the time. But. (laughs) But I realized over the years that I had – what I think is different about what I do, and you maybe call me an arts consultant in this case, mm. is that I have a tremendous amount of experience, years of experience of successfully organizing, marketing, booking, and touring museum exhibitions. Mm. And I realized that my secret sauce is that I can work with artists to get them into museums at some point. You know, it's mm. not every artist. So, I, you know, yeah. it really is – I have to kind of really handpick who mm. we both are compatible. They have mm. to also be really, really committed in wanting to do it. I'm not going to yeah. be able to work with someone that's going to kick back and say, just do it. They have to be really enthusiastic about moving ahead with a career. And I can't do more than a handful at a time. So. But one thing I'm super – the biggest project right now that I can – I think I can say this and I can announce it, yeah – is that I have – outside of the exhibitions that I have been independently producing and touring – over the course of my career, I'm also now working with not only the Cheech Marin Center for Chicano Art and Culture, but mostly this the Smithsonian. I'm excited. They're both of them together. And I'll be organizing, booking, and touring a new exhibition that's coming out with the De La Torre brothers, Einar and Hymex De La Torre. And it gives me great pleasure that after it opens at the Cheech in June, when it goes on national tour, my firm, Cause Connect will be representing it throughout. And the first museum that booked it, my hometown museum, Corpus Christi, Texas, Art Museum of South Texas. And it kind of comes full circle because maybe, you know, my friends in Flower Bluff and Corpus Christi will know what I do a
0: little bit, (laughs) you know? I wish
1: my dad was alive because he passed away a week after I moved back to Texas about five years ago. And I was glad that he knew I came back because he had asked me to come back for many years. But- It just gives me great pleasure that because I'm going to be in my hometown and doing what I love, which is doing these museum exhibitions that I love.
0: Well, congratulations, for starters. That is, I love that. And, you know, isn't that interesting? And we see that in life, right? The cyclical nature of things. And if we, I guess, are lucky enough to live long enough, you can, if you're paying attention, you can see how these things can come around. And, and, and you know, a certain level, you, you have to be open, you have to let it happen, you have to trust and have faith and hope and whatever. But your story is a testament, right, to the poetic justice of life sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> that can happen and can, that's amazing well thank you for sharing that story you know and you know I um, it was funny because I wanted to get to this and I I didn't want to get to it too soon because I you know I want to talk about all the other because you're doing so much but you mentioned it so I'll just go ahead and, and mention it so one of the cool things that you do because you do so many cool things but one of the really cool things is that you do manage. Cheech's art collection like this is incredible like so how does one get that job you know what I mean <laughs>
1: oh I love that story Is a good story about it too and it's tied into I think it starts with Richard Duardo mm. and I don't know if you knew Richard
0: I Richard didn't know pa- him but I know who you're talking about of course
1: he was the master printer. I always say the master printer to the Chicano art stars and more. Mm, mm. I mean, I know he, he before Shepard Ferry with his studio, he did all of his prints with Richard and, and was a dear friend of his as well. But Richard was my neighbor in the arts district. And I always – he was, you know, always with the pretty ladies. You know, he always had – you know, he was so charismatic in addition to being such an amazing supporter of the arts, not just only his own artwork, but he really cared about other artists. And I remember I went to, the, it used to be a, I forgot which, it was a Vons. We called it the ghetto Vons. Or it was a really bad, where we were, it was way beyond us. And we only grocery store, there was no grocery store in downtown LA at the time. And I had just started my business. Cause Connect. So I think I met him. So he was 2001, 2002. And we had this interaction in the, in the grocery store parking lot because he mentioned something about what are you doing nowadays? And so I handed him my card and he's like, what's Cause Connect? And I said, well, it connects companies and causes, particularly in the arts and education environment. And he's like, I got a project for you. And okay. So he started chatting with me and he goes, Do you know Cheech and Chong are Cheech? And I and you know, I'm a little bit younger, even though I'm older. My brother really knew Cheech and Chong, my older brother. that and I was like yeah whatever and so he started talking to me about this project because Chicano Visions had just started go is a nationally traveling exhibition that was groundbreaking for Chicano art and Cheech of Cheech's collection and he introduced me to Cheech fast forward he said well could you go with me to his house because um, I'd like to see if you can come on board with this project and the project became the Chicano collection which was a fine art print project that we did with Richard Eduardo's Modern Multiples and Cheech where we took a representative art piece in that national touring Chicano Vision show and created a limited edition portfolio. And we only did a small number. Many of them were donated to museums across the United States and others went to the artist and then elsewhere, but to benefit the Hispanic Scholarship Fund. And I came on board and I said to him, I'll do it, but I need to manage the project because it's nonprofit funds and I want to move forward with that. So he said, you got to meet Cheech. But okay, in my mind, I was envisioning like a Charlie Brown cartoon where Pigpen comes in and there's a cloud. <laughs> I thought Cheech was going to come in with a cloud of smoke and go, "Hey man, you know he's going to be this persona, right?"
0: Yeah. So after all, Rich- you have seen the movies.
1: <laughs> oh, I, well, I hadn't at the time. That's another story. I had not seen the Cheech and Chong until Cheech and Chong got back together a few years later. But but I but che- Richard took me out to Cheech's house at that time when he was in Malibu, and I walked in. And Cheech was sitting at his table. He had just finished working out in the gym, so he had a glisten of sweat. He looked like a Wheaties box, which coincidentally was seated in front of him. So, he had the Wheaties box in front of him as his athlete. And he was this glistening, clear-eyed, articulate, amazing person. I sat down with him and Richard and started talking about art. And I was thinking, oh, my God, this is not the experience I ever expected. (laughs) 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 Not at all. And I worked with him, not for him, but with him for several years before he said, you know, he needed someone to come on board, but he didn't quite know what to do. And and again, another story. But so, yeah, so I met Cheech in that way. And later on, started working with him and doing a lot of these exhibitions. And I've now curated or organized. I don't like to say curated because I'm not a curator. Curator, same kind of thing. You don't want to claim to an artist or you're an artist. You don't want to tell a curator you're a curator when you're not. Uh, I didn't go to school for that, but I organized and toured these exhibitions, um, and many, almost 13 or 14 now, to over 50 museums across the country. And one of those led to us being in Riverside for a blockbuster opening, and it coincided with this library being open as a possible museum, and literally it led to eventually the city of Riverside and Riverside Art Museum coming to him and saying, do you want a museum?
0: Incredible. And that's exactly where I wanted to go with this story, because this is the news of the day. This is breaking news right here with what's happening with the Riverside Museum. So I know you've just touched on it, but let's drill down on that a little bit. Can you take us to the, you know, take us back to the beginning of that conversation, exactly how this unfolded, because I mean, this is multi-million dollar deal. This is a big, you know, huge undertaking, obviously, you know, very complex, very stressful, very beautiful, you know, so let's celebrate it and honor it just for a few minutes. And if you can share some details about how this really not just came to be, but where are we right now and what is the status and what does the next few months look like?
1: Well, I, first of all, I have to say, Riverside Art Museum and the City of Riverside have been tremendous to work with, and they're great partners and people we work with are friends. And it's unbelievable how they came together in five short years to transform this former main library in downtown Riverside to what will be revealed in mid June as this amazing, major national center dedicated to Chicano art. And what a pleasure. And it came about, we both, Cheech and I were both introduced to their interest, literally about an hour before Cheech was supposed to go on stage in Little Tokyo for a Los Angeles Public Library art talk. And they wanted to meet us for drinks before. And they sat down. And at the time, it was the city manager of the city of Riverside, uh, Drew Oberjurgi, who is the executive director of Riverside Art Museum, and Todd Wingate, one of the curators. And we sat around his table. And they had already prepared within a month's time after the successful opening of our traveling exhibition, Papel Chicano Dos, which was works on paper from Cheech's collection. They had put together this whole idea of what this could be. And I, Cheech was just, it was just overwhelming for me to be in this experience and to watch this happen because it was just this small group over drinks and saying, hey, here's this museum, let's do it. And I think it reminds me of people asking me, you know, why'd you become an entrepreneur? I said, well, I'm a daughter of an entrepreneur. I didn't know any better. I think none of us had really built a museum. So we're all like, okay, we can do that. We'll work together. And I think we all came, if we had known
0: (laughs) all of us in advance,
1: and if Cheech says now, he's going to be a lifelong fundraiser, which he, yeah, you are, you have to keep the doors open. But, you know, I think we all just said, this is an incredible opportunity. It's a legacy for Cheech. He had literally a month before, unbeknownst to Riverside, we had just hosted a small salon at his home with a variety of collectors and museum contacts to talk about what to do with this collection, just generally, and how we could work together to what Cheech always wants to do, which is embed Chicano art in its rightful place, American Art Museums. Yes, I mean, yes. that is his whole thing, and, and I'm pleased that I've been able to support behind the scenes. I will say this. I think it's important. You talked about this at the beginning of our discussion about the importance of having a team, people that work with you, supporting artists, and again, our own art, you and I having these art services. But... And you know this best of all, too. If the people you're working, let's say you're working for an artist or a project, if that gets more attention than you as a person or, or your business, you did your job. And so for me, I'm okay with being behind the scenes. And then lately, I've been talking about what I'm doing and other things. That's another story. But, but I think that I feel like my life meant something. Or mm, I feel very mm. satisfied. Yeah, right. What I have done behind the scenes, and I'm the word, comfortable the word, with yeah, that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The word that comes to mind as I'm listening to you talk is contribution. You now know, at least with this one project, there's no doubt that you have made a meaningful and important contribution to our culture. And there's great pride in that. And so is it because i mean on a certain level, right? We all want our lives that to add up to something meaningful, <laughs> right? And now you can look in the mirror and say, yeah, yeah, I did it.
1: And I don't need anyone to pat me on the back or anything else because I know sure. what I did. Yeah. And sometimes people go, you know, they kind of look at me, why Chicano aren't you? When I first moved to Los Angeles... You know, I'm this big white chick from Texas, I'm, but I said, if you know Texas, it's German immigrants and Mexican immigrants, you shake it up and you have a Texan or you have Texas culture. And when I moved to Los Angeles, I was embraced and felt very comfortable with the Chicano community because I felt like it was very Texan. I know it, that might be a negative thing of people that not here, but I no, love no, Texas but I get it. too. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, totally. And yeah.
1: It's just such an embraceive community and I really appreciated the work that I was able and- to contribute and to support, and that's why I do it. I don't do it because I want to get recognized. So that's not me. I, my role is to elevate and support what Cheech wants to do. And again, that that in itself too. If it, Cheech is so important and special to me in my life, if I have made him proud in some way over the years, twenty years, then I I've done it.
0: Right on. I'm okay. Yeah, I get that. I totally get that. What do you think? The most when it comes to Chicano art, what do you think is the most misunderstood about Chicano art? I mean, I love what you're saying a minute ago about, you know, Cheech being, I mean, his whole thing about being No, no, no. We're not segregating this as a separate genre or a separate kind of, you know, aesthetic or whatever. I mean, no, this is part of the American art canon. This isn't, you know, and so like that's a, such a point and I totally get that. Absolutely. But when we do think about Chicano art or when people hear that phrase Chicano, what do you think the one thing is people misunderstand about Chicano art or the one thing you want them to know about Chicano art?
1: Well, I think it's over the years we, you know, there've been certain things that Cheech, when he's been interviewed or been in conversations and talked about, you know, there are certain phrases that I've really captured and kind of helped repeat over the years. And one is Chicano art is American art. You can't love or hate Chicano art unless you see it, which is, again, the basis and the guiding focus of why we do exhibitions across the country at small to medium to large museums. And he always talks about the fact that it's funny that you can get a PhD at Harvard in Chicano studies, but you can't mark that box on the census. You can't say, Mm. I'm Chicano. Mm. And it's all about identity. And I, I, I don't feel that I'm the right person to... Be the face of describing and defining what Chicano art is. And I'd like to reserve that question for him, and I'll definitely have that conversation. You two should have that conversation because he's so articulate about that. And again, it's his opinion. And I think for me, in my opinion, you know, identity is a very personal thing and it loops back to the beginning of our conversation. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the identity, how we identify racially or ethnically, or it might be how we identify professionally. It might be how we identify personally. And so I think that just by really reinforcing what he said over the years is that guiding principle is that Chicano art American art. And for me and my role in a supporting role is to help him make that dream come true or to help make that vision reality. So that is my art. I like to make things happen and it doesn't have to be where I'm the face of making that happen. But if I can make things happen for a client or a friend, like he's now a friend and a client, but if I can make that happen for someone as special as him and to be play a role in it, that's just golden for me.
0: Right on. Isn't it such a, I mean, because part of what you're getting at my words, not yours, it sort of harkens to this notion of service, right? And I feel like, you know, a good life, a life well lived on a certain level has to include some kind of service to our fellow man, to our community, to our culture, to our country, whatever the case might be. And we all kind of pick our lanes and stuff, but, you know, you, so much of your energy and time You know, obviously, you've chosen to work in the arts, but this is coming from a spirit of service to the artist, to the art patron, to just, you know, the art lover. And, you know, there is a humility. I mean, yes, there's a pride in that because you feel like, oh, you know, I'm my life. I'm trying to make my life matter here. I'm trying to use my time in a meaningful way. But there's a humility there as well and I that your humility comes through. And I love that because it is a humbling thing.
1: You know, in our business too, you and I, a lot of it, uh, unlike an artist in some ways, our services don't have, they're not tangible. They're intangible, but they hopefully will create something tangible. Like I used to be really jealous of my boyfriend a few years ago. He was a woodworker. And when he was done at the end of the day, you could physically see what he had done. And when you're in the business of supporting and doing, providing services with people, you don't always see at the end of the day, you don't you have something tangible. So, for me, I think about when I documented my neighborhood and transition, the Arts District of Los Angeles, I really wanted to have a book and I ended up having a book which led to a few exhibitions that I did of the artwork about that in community. The book was so important to me because it was tangible. I could hold it and say, I was there. And I mean, I think about the fact that I lost my Instagram account this week. Someone hacked me, right? Downtown News. Oh my God, years and years. I'm so
0: sorry. Yeah. What a nightmare.
1: But you realize all that stuff's online and it's not yeah. tangible. Yeah. So, But I have my book. And again, when I die, someone might have a copy of that book if it's still around. And the same thing with all the work now over 20 years of working with Cheech. And there were some tangible points along the way. The Chicana Collection, Portfolio Collection I Could Hold. The books that I published for him over the years, I can hold. The materials for the exhibitions we did at different venues, I can hold. And now we have this enormous, beautiful, not just a monument, because it's going to be this impressive, tangible place. It's a place where people can go and see... The results of all the work he's done years before me, again, I just played this supporting role for 20 of those 40 plus years of his collecting. And I mean, you can imagine if I'm choked up, he's choked up. He's so emotional just going in there to this beautiful facility, 61,420 square feet and filled with these amazing art pieces that are personal, You know, I understand as a collector myself, it's hard for, I look at, my house is filled with probably 300 works of art that I've personally collected over the years. And that's another, I I woke up one day and realized I was a collector and didn't realize it. (laughs) And (laughs) so I'm a collector, but my collection is, but I realized it was my paintings and so forth were surrounded by women and I, uh, that I felt were powerful and I didn't feel powerful. So they support me. And the same thing, when you look at what Cheech has collected, he likes what he likes and makes no qualms about it. He does not collect for someone else, but it, so it's personal. So what is going to be revealed is is very personal at the beginning. And ultimately, that museum will be supplementing his personal vision with a more diverse vision that others have done too. And I think that's what's going to be beautiful to watch that evolve over the years.
0: right. But right. when
1: it opens, boy. It's going to be amazing.
0: Part of what I mean, I did this idea of being, I mean, being emotional about it. I mean, it's obviously there's a sense of that's his heart. Right. So like, you know, his his heart is on display, so to speak. Right. And yet there's, so there's a vulnerability there. Right. So it's like it's like you feel na- on a certain level. It's like, well, I'm I'm naked right now. I'm I'm here, you know, with, with my heart out, you know, for all to see. And that takes you know, that's such a beautiful notion and it takes so much courage. And so I totally get that, you know, there's that vulnerability there and that emotion there because it's a lifetime of work, isn't it? It's a lifetime of collection. It's a lifetime of investment and in energy. And yet at the same time for the museum, right, I understand what you're saying. It's kind of the, the foundation on which they'll build, right? So like it's he's laid the foundation and now they're going to build, you know, continue adding on, you know. And that'll be a story
1: that I think separately that I would love to see you build on is not only chatting with him and where he's at, but you know, we have an amazing – the Riverside Art Museum hired an artistic director, Maria Esther Fernandez, who goes by Esther, and hearing their vision when they move forward. So that will be a program that we'll have to schedule with you for the future, because I think they can build on that.
0: But you also hit on this thing that's so important. I mean – in terms of Cheech's approach, right, to to collecting, and your approach, I think, and it's my approach, which is I buy what I love. I buy what I love. And if it appreciates, great. But I don't care. I don't care because every day I see that piece and it makes me happy, or it makes me think, or it makes me feel. And that's it for me. And, you know, the narrative, we have to do the work. I mean, a big part, I think, of our work, your work, my work, is kind of changing the narrative or at least educating people to be empowered around, no, 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 art isn't exclusive and isn't inaccessible. It's actually very accessible and it's inclusive. You just have to feel empowered and know that it's what you want and you like. It's not what the so-called experts say. And if you love that piece for a 100 bucks, buy it. You know, you're going to support that artist, you're going to support small business, you're going to support your local economy, and you're going to have something in your home every day that you look at and makes you happy, you know.
1: No, I think that's super important. Buy what makes you happy, you know, and find ways, support artists in any way that you possibly can. I think that's the message I would love to, you know, just really leave with folks is that you don't have to buy art. Obviously, you, if you have the means, please do, but you don't have to buy art to support an artist. You can share information about what they're doing. You can you know, post an image of, this is something I really like. You can follow them. You can just do so many different things to support artists. And that being said, building on what you said... You can be a collector too. Maybe it's starting off with something small. Maybe it's not just even a fine art print. Maybe it's again, I you have a wonderful poster. You know, this is like this is from that exhibition I saw. You have this memento. But and as time permits, you'll find ways to support artists. I mean, I'm not an NFT person collector yet so that's another whole (laughs) world podcast. (laughs) I can't do it so I have not personally done that but I do know that you know there's all kinds of accessible ways that you can really build a collection and I know again I know firsthand because I'm I woke up and have it. In fact, the house that I have now in Houston, which I could never afford in Los Angeles, the only reason I left. But it reminded me of my loft in Los Angeles. And there's this big open space with lots of walls and so forth. And I remember walking in going, oh, I could hang all my art.
0: Mm, <laughs> yes.
1: So, yes. So I think you know we could find a place where you can see it. Oh, that reminds me of one other little tidbit that she used to say at the beginning and I think it's because in Los Angeles you can't hang all your art cuz usually it's different, you know, different homes and styles and stuff. But he says, "You know when you're a collector when you have storage." <laughs> 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 and I did for a while cuz I didn't have room to hang it all. Yeah but, yeah. but I thought that was like, oh that's an interesting little tidbit. But now, you know, I now I try to, you know, if I if there's not room, it's it's really hard because these, you know, as you collect you you have these things in front of you and they're just so personal and they their memory triggers. You're like, oh, this is that artist that I know, or this is a friend of mine, or this is where I was at this place and I got it. And I find that my house is pretty sparse of everything else except art. And I think I go through it and I just, every day, you know, I am flooded with memories or just I enjoy how gorgeous it feels. And it's just really special. So
0: I totally get it. You know, it's like people come into my. You know, I'm in my office, my home office right now, and people come in here and they they love the vibe in here. Generally, they appreciate the energy and they'll say something. Oh, you know, your office, whatever. And, you know, and I always say, you know, you enjoy being in the room and you enjoy the energy because in this room, is just everything I love. You know, it's just, you know, maybe it's, it's called, you know, it's, maybe it's, you know, memorabilia or something that happened to me or some cool piece of art or whatever. And it just exudes. And that's ultimately that is what we want to, we want to surround ourselves by things that we love and and give us that positive energy. And so I totally get that sense that you, that you had, you know, when you saw that wall, you know, Oh yeah, <laughs> I can, I can uh, make this my own, you know?
1: It's really funny. I just thought of something I, when I was growing up, I don't remember a single work of art on our walls except a painting that my mother did. She did paint for like a brief nanosecond and she painted something. And then I think, you know, even though we weren't really religious, there was some kind of religious... Mm. Painting of the Last Supper on wood mm-hmm, or mm-hmm, something mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. might have been left there. So it, you know, it's it's so interesting how it, going again back to what you said at the beginning, kind of we're coming from this place and being at this other place, but being curious along this journey and open yourself along the way. And I wouldn't trade this life for anything else. It's been so interesting to go from point A to point B, but but to know that who knows how much longer we can keep going in whatever direction or be turning others. And I think you never know, you know, and I think that's, what's nice to have this creative mindset because in being open to those changes, because things, you know, things will change. Or you're dead.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And they won't change. Uh, Well, and I tell you what, and, you know, the reason they'll change, of course, is one of the reasons they'll change is because of the important work that you do, because you are working so hard to change culture and and influence culture, not just by – following and service of other amazing humans like Cheech, but in your own passion and, and drive, you know, as an artist, as an art lover, and you know, Melissa Richardson Banks, I am so grateful that you took time out of your very busy schedule because, you know, we had to book this in the morning early <laughs> because you got a series of meetings coming up. And I don't want you to be late. And I wanna just thank you for coming on. And I also want to thank you for agreeing to be a a judge for our 2023 Artist Grant, which is our fourth annual Artist Grant. Thank you so much for signing on. Uh, We've got 300 amazing artists that have submitted to win our grant. So, you know, thank you for that. And uh, I think it's more to come, isn't it?
1: It is. And I also want to say thank you for introducing me to 300 plus artists, because honestly, that is a joy in itself.
0: You know, one of the beautiful things that I have enjoyed watching as we've been creating this community really, not real art over the last four years is to see how how the artists that come to us and artists we work with, how we're able to, to create opportunities for them, you know, whether it's not even, I mean, yes, direct opportunities, but indirect opportunities and organic opportunities and how some of our judges have embraced them and said, Hey, I'm curating a show. Will you be in this show? And, you you know, or, or they just buy their art because they love it, you know? And, you know, so it's a wonderful thing, right. To make those connections and see what happens.
1: Well, I'm grateful. Thank you so much for inviting me and just having the conversation. I so admire you and your work, and obviously love Man One. He's, you know, he was he introduced Cheech to a couple of the artists in the collection.
0: By the way, work. By the way, shout out to work. Shout work. Out to Cheech work. and I both collect work, and you know, I'm honored that I uh, too have one of the same pieces, uh, same artists that Cheech collects. But work, we love work. I've known work for well. I guess I met work. When I met Man One, probably in two thousand three,
1: we must have met at the same time because we I met at the show.
0: So Work and I met. So Man One and I curated, and was it shit? I'm trying to remember the year now. So Man One opened Crew West in two thousand two in Alhambra, and we moved it downtown in two thousand four, I think it was. And so somewhere along the way, I met Work, but then because he was he'd be in the gallery and I'd see him. And so what year was that? Two thousand six or seven. Man 1 and I produced meetings of, of style uh, in the Royal Seco confluence with uh, over, you know, 150, 200 graffiti artists, and we created a 10,000 square foot mural. Work was one of those artists. Anyway, love work. And uh, anyway, so many great memories. How lucky are we, right? How lucky are we? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, I'm lucky too, Melissa, because I know you and you came on the show and you're part of our family here at Not Real Art. And thank you so much. And you have a beautiful day, my friend. What are you rushing off to now? What's next for you today?
1: Well, I have a meeting with our team at Riverside and the Smithsonian for our Delatori show. Uh, All right. And then we, I'm actually going to a station a museum of contemporary art for Clark V. Fox. He, and nice. you should look him up. My okay. friend Roger okay. Gassman um, is good friends with him. And he's an artist of great renown who's got a wonderful show that we hope to bring to Los Angeles. So we're going to have dinner and go look at that.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Well, Godspeed, my friend, you have a beautiful day and, you know, we'll get you back on as soon as you get a break in the action. Cause we want to, we want you to keep us up to date on all the great stuff that you're doing.
1: Thanks so much.
0: Thanks for listening to the not real art podcast. Please make sure to like this episode, write a review and share with your friends on social. Also remember to subscribe. So you get all of our new episodes. Not real art is produced by crew West studios in Los Angeles. Our theme music was created by Ricky Pajot and Desi DeLauro from the band Parlor Social. Not Real Art is created by We Edit Podcast and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Not Real Art. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating creative culture and the artists who make it.